We've been on the series Unsung Heroes, and one of my unsung heroes of the Scripture for a long, long time has been this person by the name of James. Now, you have to know there are several Jameses in the Bible and in church history, but this one has been mine for a number of reasons. And look at how this works, please. James starts his book... Most, most people are familiar with his book, but not so familiar with him. So he starts his book with James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty cool introduction. Because he could have done something a little different. He could have said, James, you know who I am, right? The half-brother of Jesus. Really? Really? Do you not know who I am? Yeah, name dropping. That's right. Thank you, David. Do you not know who I am? But he, he said, oh, no, the greatest thing I can say about me and my relationship with my half-brother is I'm a bondservant. Now, that all being said, you have to realize that <laughs> there was a time when the family of Jesus thought he was nuts. And they didn't mind telling people that they thought he was nuts. And they would come to collect him when he was speaking publicly and say, he's such an embarrassment to us because he thinks he's God. And so James is in that camp. But something miraculous happens to James. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that after the resurrection of Christ, as Jesus is appearing to people, the apostles, the 500 brethren, and to James. And there are those in church history who say that was it for James. That God had this incredible plan for the half-brother of Jesus, James. And so Jesus appeared to him personally after his resurrection to let him know he was on assignment. And by the way, if you take that all into context and you do a study on church history, you find out that the other brothers of Jesus, half-brothers and sisters, were also used in ministry. Which is not unusual if you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, where God would call whole families into ministry. So that's no big surprise. We, don't, we seem to think, well, wait a minute, why is it that your family's all in ministry? It's a God thing. I mean, it is. What, what are the reasons would there be? We tell people when Sheila and I started out in ministry over 50 years ago, we didn't know this was going to become a family business. And everybody's going to be involved in it at some level. But that's what God did, and that's what he's doing and continues to do. So here is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who once thought he was crazy, and now he is saying, oh, but I'm so delighted that I can identify myself as his servant because this is huge and then two nicknames appear in church history for James one was James the just because he was living in the righteousness of Christ and it was revealed to all the other nickname he had was camel knees because he spent so much time in prayer It said that he developed calluses on his knees that looked like camel knees. Now think about this. When the disciples were talking to Jesus and wanting to know how to do ministry, 
They didn't say, Jesus, tell us how to feed the multitude. That's a pretty cool thing. Or tell us, tell us how to raise the dead. Oh, man. Wow. They never asked it. Here's what they said. Lord, teach us how to pray. And so here we are with the half-brother Jesus who is identified later in church history as an incredible man of prayer. I hope you're seeing the dots and how they connect and how God does all this. So let's pray. Father, thank you today that in your time and your place in this time right now with us here together that you connect the dots for us. That we don't just spend time in a service as wonderful as the music's been and we praise you for that. And the word and now how it goes forth that we truly are those who are changed and transformed for your glory, Father. And we're just inviting you now, Holy Spirit, to do what needs to be done so the Father's will can be accomplished in our lives as we're gathered here in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here's why James has been my hero. In Acts chapter 15, There's controversy in the new church, the young church. And the controversy is this. Do those Gentiles, that'd be us, who are coming to know Jesus, do they have to be converted to Judaism before they become Christian? And there's two camps and variations of those camps. Some are saying yes and some are saying no. And so they finally, because it's so confusing and there's such a message of confusion going out, they call what's now known as the Jerusalem Council, revealed to us in Acts 15, and everybody gets to express their view. Kind of like today, isn't it? Everybody's got a view, you know. Let me, let me tell you what I think. And they do. But James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, who has now supernaturally risen to be the leader of the church, when they all give their view, he recites Old Testament scripture of what the prophets have foretold of what the church is supposed to be. And then he says, it seems right to me that we should not put on the Gentiles circumcision, which is what they were requesting. But instead, we should tell them not to eat meat offered to idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, and to not eat meat that has blood in it. No circumcision required. And we send out letters. And everybody goes, that's right. See, here's the thing that we need to get that's been missing so much from church. The Holy Spirit was in charge. It wasn't James in charge. It wasn't the apostles in charge. It was the Holy Spirit was in charge. And because the Holy Spirit was in charge, everybody went, oh, yeah. See, it was, it was like, okay, we're expressing all of our minds, all of our thoughts. But, man, when the truth lands, it lands in our spirit. And we know, yep, that's right. So that's my hero, James. And then getting to his book where he says, I am James the bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this that I'm writing is to the 12 tribes who have been dispersed abroad. Greetings. Now, he's sending this letter, which, by the way, is supposed to be the first New Testament book written that's actually dispersed. 
And it goes out to the churches. It's an open letter. They read it wherever it lands. And in this letter, which now has come to us, because it's his open letter here to us today, here's what he says. Considered all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, some time ago, weeks ago now, God just gave me this thing, more of God. And I really, this was my prayer, I want more of you, God. Anybody ever prayed that? Let me recommend you do it, but let me tell you there may be some consequences. More of you. And count it all joy. So, back up about six weeks ago, doing a little repair work at my house, simple job, 10-second job. Up on a step stool, push up a piece of vinyl that I've left loose, back down, go to whatever. Went up the step stool, didn't have it positioned properly. It went one way, I went the other, and the back of my head did the concrete. And I broke a rib. I'm thinking, there's nothing they can do for me. I got a concussion, and I got a broken rib. Just next day, got up, did everything I wanted to do on Saturday, came here on Sunday, did what we did, had to do on Sunday, came to work on Monday, I'm fine. Monday afternoon, I start getting sick. Start getting a headache. Time to go see the doctor. Go see the doctor. Go get a scan. You have a brain bleed. If things get worse, you need to go to Atrium Health in Charlotte. They got worse. I went. Worse is when the headache gets unbearable and you start throwing up. Just so you know, that's worse. It was worse for me, okay? Go through the whole process. They sent me home. You're good. The blood will dissipate. Take a few days to, you know, behave yourself. I did. Back to work. Good to go. And then, a couple weeks in, started getting sick again. Getting a headache. Throwing up. Go see the doctor. Get another scan. Oh, now you have two more brain bleeds. You need to go to Atrium Health. So I roll up. Bradley and Sheila, our daughter Bradley and Sheila were with me. And we roll up to the emergency room in Atrium Health. And there are 17 people in the room ahead of me. One girl's over puking in a bag. There's a pregnant lady. Don't know what's going on with her. Here's this old guy like me wrapped up in a blanket because he's freezing. There's a drug addict over there that you know she's really out of her mind. I'm thinking, where did I fit in all this? So they get to me. The uh, triage nurse says, we need to get you in front of a doctor. But in the meantime, this really nice looking guy, young guy comes in. He's all healthy looking. Except for the fact he's been playing volleyball and he fell on his shoulder and he thinks he's knocked his shoulder out of place. And he is whining. Oh, God, he's whining. I'm thinking, he's going to bump the line. I know he is. He's cute. All the triage nurses were checking on him to make sure he was okay. You know, I'm thinking, push the government's corner. Leave him alone, you know. And so, I, just so you know, if you don't know by now, I don't like people who whine. And I know I'm a pastor and yes, I hear it all the time, but 
Whining is not my favorite thing. You'll find out before I get done today, there's a couple things. Because what I'm doing to you is saying this. The scripture says, count it all joy. So here I am sitting there, waiting my turn, whenever it may come, count it all joy. Now, count it all joy, in case you don't know, is not jumping up and down. Oh, praise God, I got a brain bleed. No, it's count it joy is having a joyful attitude in the midst of what you're going through and doing whatever God allows you to do to touch other people's lives in the process. So she says, I'm going to push you back there. She said, I hate to put you in a small room, but we need to get you in front of a doctor. So a five by eight room is what we get. Three of us in a five by eight. It wasn't a cell, it was a room. Okay, just so you know. (laughs) And this is, I'm I'm in the scripture because this is what I've been working on leading up to all this happening and count it all joy. And that's the phrase that I keep getting. Count it all joy, count it all joy, count it all joy, count it all joy. Okay. So the um, neurosurgeon sends a PA. They said, We've, we cannot get the scan from Chester, so we need to scan you again. And they did, and which really turned out in my favor because now they had a time lapse of what was happening with my brain. And there was activity, for those who might question that. <laughs> and they said, we want to put you in progressive care. We don't have a room. So you have to stay here in the ER. Well, it's a little noisy in the ER, just so you know. So the emergency room doctor comes in. And please, nobody think I'm in any way. I got good medical care. I really did through the whole process. But there were some little things along the way that were kind of interesting. So this ER doctor comes in, and she's really nice. And she walks over, you know, to this elderly gentleman sitting there on the uh, stretcher. Pats me on the knee and says, you know, Mr. Bishop, some of us, as we get older, our brain shrinks. I said, oh, the bearer of good news. Thank you for coming in. (laughs) She goes, but the good news is this. If your brain shrinks, you have more room to bleed. I said, oh, you're just full of good news, aren't you? You (laughs) So we go through this whole process. Well, in the midst of us, for those who don't know, I don't like to take medicine. I'm not anti-medicine. I just think there's too much of it. And so they offer me all this medicine. They would say, we're going to give you this and give you this and give you this. I said, I don't take medicine. They said, wait a minute. Are you sure you're an American? You don't take medicine? They didn't say that. I just made that up. I said, I don't take medicine. You don't take medicine for anything. I don't take medicine for anything. I do essential oils, natural treatment as best I can, anytime I can. It's okay. I said, so I don't want those medicines. Well, you got to learn to ask the right questions. See, what they were saying to me was, we're going to give you this medicine, and this medicine is going to cause these side effects, and this other medicine we're going to give you is going to counteract those side effects. I didn't know all that. So there we are. 4 a.m., they come in. We got a room. We're going to move you. Hallelujah. Well, I've gotten sensitive to light, so when I took my clothes off, I took my T-shirt and put it over my head, my eyes. And again, it's a small room. She's wheeling me out. I've got a t-shirt over my eyes for the light. And I'm like this. I didn't realize I had my elbow outside the stretcher. Bam! She hits the door. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. We roll in the ninth floor. And she pushed me in this room. And I could hear other people. So I pulled the t-shirt off. And there's other nurses in there. And... I said, you ladies are probably wondering why I'm riding around at 4 o'clock in the morning with a t-shirt over my head. 
And they said, well, not really. We really don't care. But I said, it's her driving. She's horrible. Well, then she's, she was apologetic anyway. This one of those things. I said, next time, give your safety lecture before you leave. All arms inside the stretcher, you know, come on. So here I am now. You got to, you know, take off your clothes and put on your little gown, all that stuff. And the nurse lays earplugs on the tray. She said, there's your ear protection. I said, okay, um, I'm sensitive to light, but I haven't been sensitive to sound. I don't think I'll need those. She said, oh, you'll need those. Just wait. The guy in the room next to me is nuts. (laughs) And he is hollering and screaming profanity at the top of his lungs. They have two security guards and four nurses in there with him. And they can't get him calmed down. Give him a shot. I don't care. So we're rolling through this process, and you have to understand, the last time I spent a night in the hospital was when I was 13. So we got a 60-year gap here, okay? That's when I had my tonsils taken out. And back then, you stayed in three days, or at least I did. So this is, okay, God, count it all joy. That's what you said, count it all joy. In fact, count it all joy with the various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Because remember, my prayer was, Lord, I want more of you. Well, guess what? More of God is more of faith. Isn't it? Isn't, he's the author. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so he is working all that out. And in the circumstances we find ourselves, we get to choose are we going to live in the spirit or live in the flesh. And that's every day, by the way. You don't have to be in the hospital to do this. In fact, I recommend you don't. So here we are. We're in this. So I'm counting in all joy. It's various trials. And I know that God is testing me because he's building my character. That's what this is. He's building my character, which is what his ultimate goal is. In fact, I have this that I keep on my desk from Oswald Chambers. I've read it to you before I'll read it again. Am I getting nobler and better, more helpful, more humble as I get older? Am I exhibiting the life that men take knowledge of as having been with Jesus? Or am I getting more self-assertive, more deliberately determined to have my own way? I want to have a good answer to that because I've told this to people you do know and we're going to come to this later in the message that we're all going to die right you got that and by the way that was the thing through this whole process I said okay God this is if it if it's a fall of a two-step step stool that takes me out I'm okay I know where I'm going I'm good but here's the thing it says that when we get to the judgment that all the stuff that we've done this all wrong gets burned up So here's what I've told God. I'll be happy to have the campfires along the way to burn the stuff up that needs to go so I don't have a bonfire at the end. I mean, that's just my heart. You have your own heart, your choice. And by the way, just to show you how humorous this was, I may or may not have told you, but the first time I was in the ER in Charlotte, and see, part of this is being humble too. And so the nurses are in there. There's several of them working on me. And they said, Mr. Bishop, what happened? I said, well, it's really embarrassing. He said, why is that? I said, I was on a two-step step stool and fell. And they all said, you know what? That really is kind of embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> I said, yeah, it is. And so the nurses started to come up with scenarios of better stories. And they discussed all these scenarios of if this happened, that happened. So the ER doctor comes in. Again, this is back to the first visit. And he says, Mr. Bishop, what happened? And the nurse says, 
Mr. Bishop was on top of his house trying to rescue a helpless bird and he fell off and hit his head. I said, her story is way better than mine. Let's take that one. So back to in the room, getting through the process, headache starts back. In fact, they had to send me for another CAT scan, like I said, and that's when I got the headache because of the way they had my neck position. So they give me a medication, <laughs> and here's where I find out that they're going to give me this medication no matter what, and another medication no matter what, and there are side effects. Count it all joy. This is God. He's working, using these circumstances as we allow him to do so. And the one medication doesn't let you go to the bathroom. I'm in there over a day and it suddenly dawns on me. I have not been in the bathroom. That's why they offered that to me back in the ER. Oh, too late for that one. And by the way, when the neurosurgeon comes in, he goes, we're going to put you on this medicine, this precautionary medicine for seizures, brain seizures. And um, again, he didn't bother to tell me the side effects. Only later did I get it. Uh, The list of side effects. And here I am, two nights in the hospital, Friday morning. They have a board at the end of the hall. They're wanting me to walk. I know you guys are having to listen to my story. I'm sorry, but I'm getting to a place, I promise you. There's there's a board down to the end. It's kind of coded, not really, but it wasn't a deep code. But if you figured out how to use it, you could figure out what every patient was and what they were getting and all that stuff. So I figured it out. I figured mine out. And by the way, the, the guy in the room next to me, you know what I had on his, his chart? Psycho. <laughs> so Friday morning, I'm out walking in the hall, and I look at mine, and it says, home. <laughs> Going home. I get a new nurse. She comes in, very pleasant, chatty. <laughs> Turns out a little too chatty. And then the um, PAs from the neurosurgeon come in and they said, you're doing great. We're going to send you home. We're going to put you on this medicine like the doctor talked to you about. And uh, but we've seen a little variation in your blood pressure. So we need to have another good blood pressure reading before we can release you. Fine. I'll sit here. I'll be calm. I'll get a good reading. What I didn't count on was how chatty this nurse was. I got to tell you, she's getting on my nerve, my last nerve. And so she's in there. She will not quit talking. And the blood pressure cup is automatic. So it's going. She's talking. And she leaves the room before it finishes. So I take a look. My blood pressure went up 20 points. That's right. Count it all joy. But that was, that was the Holy Spirit saying, okay, Steve, it's not the number. It's how you're responding to her. So she's down the hall somewhere. I'm in there praying. For, and Lord, I forgive her for all of her noise. Um, I bless her as a nurse. I know she's in progressive care. She's got to be a really qualified nurse. And she was really informative. So Lord, help me with this. She walks back in and she looks at things. She goes, oh my God, what are we going to do? You're the nurse. She goes, your reading went up. I said, yeah, noticed that. She goes, we got I got to do something. I got to do something. She goes, I can't let your wife come. She and Brownlee gone to breakfast. She said, I can't let them come back and see that reading. She goes out. She comes back in after a little bit. I'm in there praying. Okay, Lord, please. I bless her. I bless her. I bless her. I bless her. 
<laughs> she comes back and she goes, you know what? Your last reading was a good reading before this one. I just took this one out and I'm leaving the last one. I said, hallelujah, going home. So, and I did. But one of the medicines they gave me had side effects. Have you ever had the hiccups for eight days? <laughs> I don't mean normal hiccups. These are hiccups on steroids. <laughs> Relentless hiccups. We did not record them. We should have. I will tell you, Sheila lived at the zoo for eight days. <laughs> because these sounds would erupt out of me and I couldn't stop them. And we would identify zoo animals. Oh, there's an orangutan. Oh, there's a, you know, there's a lion. There's a, there's a gator, you know. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. And, it, could, I could, and it, would, it would get so bad to take my breath. And I'm sitting going, uh, 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 uh. oh, there's a seal. <laughs> it was crazy. I, in that whole time, I had one four-hour window that I didn't have hiccups of that nature. So in the process, I'm trying to get back to see the neurosurgeon, finally get his office. And by the way, some of you were so gracious to offer all these suggestions of things that I could do for hiccups. I tried every one of them except the one, just so you know, don't be offended. The one who said, why don't you stand on your head? <laughs> so I'm talking to this girl at the neurosurgeon's office. She goes, have you tried peanut butter? I said, I'm trying peanut butter. She goes, get you a big gob of peanut butter and suck on it. And I did. And it helped. Had a jar of Skippy peanut butter. And I started sucking on peanut butter. So at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning for over an hour, I'd sit there with a big clump of peanut butter. And it would calm things down a little bit. It wouldn't go away, but it would be better. And somewhere in there, I could fall asleep. Well, I ran out of Skippy peanut butter. But we had Jif. <laughs> Sheila says it's all psychological, but Jif didn't work for me, just so you know. She had to go to the store and get more Skippy. By the way, this woman has put up with all sorts of stuff. Like I say, she's living at the zoo. She's not sleeping. She's concerned, like I say, because it would get so bad, it would take my breath. Like, okay, I'm going to lose my husband here because he's got hiccups. Anyway, through the whole process, and I did send out to the prayer team and other people, just be praying for the hiccups to go, and, and thank God. I had the medicine for six days, and it only took two more days after that to get rid of the hiccups. So all this is counted all joy in God. See, this is where, because it says here, the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know, I thought, I thought I was through it the first time. Nope, came back. I think I'm through it this time. Yes, I am. Praise God. But the hiccups and all that stuff. So all this for me, and, and again, I know I'm talking for me, and, and you just have to listen in. But all this for me is, this is God taking a really bad situation and doing something good because he was dealing with my heart about things that, you know, you just, you're up at the night, the whole night, you might as well talk to God. I mean, that's what I like to do anyway. But I mean, it's, it's like, this is, this is what we're going to do. And we did. It was good. That part was good. By the way, back up to the fall. So you, you need to know this because this is something we learned a long time ago. There are things that we need to do as we go through life. And one of the things we learned was it's called fall trauma. So when you have a fall, you need to break off that trauma. You have the authority to do it in Christ. You break off the trauma. And in that breaking off the trauma, you have to forgive the person who caused it. In this case, it was me. 
Because I have had to keep forgiving me for not positioning the steps to properly as I should have. And I did that numerous times. And so that, that was cleansing. And that's, but just to let you know, if you fall, break off the fall trauma and forgive whoever caused it. We've had people here who have been absolutely healed of physical ailments because it came from a fall. And when they forgave the person that caused it, they got healed. I know that's weird, but it just works. So all this is God, I think, using this situation, circumstance that I'm in to help Steve grow up because that's what he wants. And that's what I want. And here I am, having been lived in this relationship with Christ for over 50 years, and there's still so much more that he wants me to know of him and learn from him. So now let's take this on to the scripture. And let endurance have its perfect result. See, that's the thing of, okay, this happened, got better. Oh no, this happened, got better. This happened. So all this is, this to me is the scripture playing out. And let the endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Did you hear that? Perfect and complete. In fact, where it says, count it all joy. Do you know what the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians 5? Love, joy. Not missing anything. It's there. He wants me to that place where those who encounter me encounter him. And by the way, that ain't just for Steve. That's for every child of God. And somehow we're missing this. We have made excuses for our flesh for so long that we just think, that's ah, just the flesh and we can do whatever the heck it is we want to do. No, we can't. That's not, that's not God. In fact, it says in First Peter, we have everything for life and godliness. We just keep making excuses. We keep blaming somebody else. My parents were terrible. And? You're all grown up, not like an adult, especially if you're in Christ. Lacking nothing. So that's God working in my life and working in all of our lives. But if any of you lack wisdom, oh, wait a minute. What are the gifts of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12, very first one, wisdom. We're not lacking. We're just not utilizing all the tools that God has placed at our disposal. Let him ask of God. Ask. When it says, consider it all joy, count it all joy, that's really a mathematical term. It says, count the things that God is doing and rejoice in it, even though they may be difficult or trying at the time, because all that this is doing is so that you can, in verse 3, know what God is up to in your life, so you can cooperate with him, so you can grow and get to this place where there is perfection. So when you ask wisdom, you're asking a Father God who loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, and who gives generously and without reproach, and he gives it to whoever asks. That's so cool. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. Well, who is the author and perfecter of my faith? Jesus is. I'm not coming up short. For the one who doubts, you got to get this, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. It's so uncertain and so unsure because we're not putting our faith and focus in him. We're putting our faith and focus in us. And it's just not going to go well. That man should expect 
nothing. Because he's a double-minded man. You know what that means, what that says in the Greek? He is a double-souled man. Remember the guy in the room next to me in the hospital? Psycho. It really has the same roots that is insane. It's insane. For example, you've heard, I think it's Einstein that said, you know, you keep doing the same thing, expecting different results is the definition of insanity. Well, we as Christians, if we find ourselves not in what God has for us, whatever that case may be, let's get to the place that God wants for us so we can be what? Working out the grace that he gives to us by the power and person of the Holy Spirit so that our lives are changed. But the brother of humble... See, you, you guys will maybe not find this as funny as I do. But a while back, I had this young man come to me and he goes, you know, Pastor, your sermons to me don't make a whole lot of sense. I said, oh, really? Why is that? He said, well, you just don't stay honed in on the, on the real core of the message. I said, okay. I said, can I ask you a question? He goes, sure, what? I said, have you ever read the New Testament where Jesus is preaching? For example, the Sermon on the Mount. He goes from topic to topic to topic. I think I'm in good company as long as I'm doing what the Holy Spirit's wanting me to do. So, so it's like, why did he make this jump? What's, what's this all about? The brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. He says, so if you don't have a lot, just rejoice that God has provided for you all that he has. And what about the rich guy? He should glory in his, his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. What's the point? We all die. It doesn't matter if you got the stuff or ain't got the stuff. We all die. And when you die, what happens to all the stuff? Either somebody trashes it or they fight over it. For the sun rises with a scorching wind, withers the grass, and the flower falls off, and the beauty of his appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. So here's James. Where is he going with this? What is he trying to help these Christians now who are scattered in other parts of the world? What is he trying to get them to see? What's he after? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, where's, where, do you get the, where do you get to wear this crown? It's, it's really, uh, in, in my understanding of Scripture, it's, it's really more like a wreath, you know, like the uh, Roman uh, athletes and all, or Greek athletes would wear because they won the, the crown, as it were, the recognition of victory. Well, there's only one place to wear this. And you only wear it temporarily because there's only five crowns listed in the scripture and all those are to be thrown at the feet of Jesus. And guess where that is? Oh, that's heaven. So whether you're here today and you're eight or 80, it's still temporary. And all of us have a eternal destiny, either in heaven or hell. And all that has been decided by our decision about what we're going to do with what Jesus did on the cross. And we all get to make it. And we all get to make it for ourselves. 
So here's this amazing God who loves us, who's doing all this work in our lives. Reminding us to keep keep your eye on the prize, which is eternal and eternity with him. So here's my suggestion. Today, each of us, nobody can do it for you. And I'm talking about those who know Christ. Would say, Lord, I just want more of you. Or maybe you're here and you don't even know the Lord. And you were saying, Lord, I just want to, I want some of you. I want to know you. And here's the truth. The only way we can have more of God is through the work of the Holy Spirit. 